0: Hello and welcome to the Development and Justice podcast from the studios at Multnomah University in the beautiful city of Portland, Oregon. My name is Dr. Greg Birch and I have the honor of hosting this unique podcast where we engage in faith-based discussions with thought leaders and practitioners who are wrestling with the complexities of ministry and Christian action in the areas of holistic mission, justice, development, and peace building. My role here at Multnomah is directing the graduate program in global development and justice. You can find out more about our program by visiting us at multnoma.edu slash M-A-G-D-J. MagDJ, I know that's a mouthful, but that's what we got. Just a quick disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed on this podcast do not necessarily represent our host institution, Multnomah University. Hey, welcome to part two of an extensive interview with Dr. Reverend Leroy Barber. Welcome back to the podcast, Dr. Barber. You have me back. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> it's great to have you here again. Man, I'll I'll keep having you back for, for years to come, okay? Um, you can hear a fuller and more formal introduction on Dr. Barber on the previous episode of this podcast. Please have a listen. Um, I did want to point out, though, a few of the books that you have written um, that our listeners might want to check out. So um, forgive me, I probably don't have them all on the list here, but I've got a few of the books that you've written, Leroy. Um, One uh, is The New Neighbor, An Invitation to Join the Beloved Community, Mm. Everyday Missions, How Ordinary People Can Change the World. I've heard that's a great textbook in a class here at Multnomah, so... Another uh, book, Red, Brown, Yellow, Black, and White, Who's More Precious in His Sight? And that book rocked my world reading it. I I deeply appreciate that. Um, And then the fourth book I want to mention is Embrace, God's Radical Shalom for a Divided World. All right? Have a look at some of those books. You can find them on uh, Amazon and other, other, uh, you know, uh, book sources as well online. But – So, Leroy, which book should we start with of of that list if we're gonna if we haven't had
1: an opportunity to read any of your books? Oh my gosh, that's fun! Like, you know, (laughs) I wonder. I'm sure other authors go through this, right? You, 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 your fourth book is a very different tone than your first book. Right. And, uh, I would say embrace has a very different tone than "New neighbor. <laughs> so, uh, but you know, I'm proud of all the work, but they, you know, they, they just have, they, they were a part of your part of my journey. Yeah. You yeah. know? Um, and from, you know, a book of on stories uh, from new neighbor of my work when I was with mission year and, mm. um, the impact that that had on people and community and lives. And then, you know, some transition happens and everyday missions just kind of is this look of anybody, anybody can do this, you know, right. Uh, and, and welcoming people into missions. And then my next book is like, like going hard, critical against missions. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, so yeah, so it's a journey,
0: Well, they're they're all needed, Mm -hmm. I think, in our world today. So I deeply appreciate. And you know, you spoke here at at Chapel here at Multnomah University um, one year, and you talked about, uh, you basically talked about ordinary missions, and you talked Mm -hmm. about the need for ordinary sacrifices in everyday Mm -hmm. ways, and um, that deeply impacted me because I think so oftentimes we think of missions as something over there, right, Mm -hmm, something mm -hmm. that you have to go get formal training for and spend years preparing for when really mission begins in the context. And we talked about this a little bit in the last episode. So, um, yeah, you, you've impacted mm-hmm. me and, and, um, so take a look at some of those books, but I know you're working on, um, a new book. I wonder if you can kind of give us a little, a little, um, heads up on that new book and what you're writing on and if you have a title yet and when you think it'll be published.
1: Just a little, a, a little glimpse. I, uh, you know, I, I got a, uh, I got a deadline, uh, soon here. Okay, so, wow. uh, so you're making me, you're making me nervous. <laughs> about it. Uh, th- this book is, is gonna, is taking a look at, um, good, it, good, the working title is good intentions, poor impact, right. Mm. Um, or bad impact. And this idea that people can enter something with the best of hearts, right. Uh, doesn't mean that it won't hurt or harm people. And so uh, how, what it, how do you how do you how do you work through that what you know how do you take a look and to kind of see where that happens and so we're gonna look at two systems we're gonna look at the foster care and adoption system and we're gonna look at gentrification and um and and work through some of that that idea the idea of like i wow. you know i think people who enter foster care have good hearts mm-hmm. right doesn't mean uh that the impact is always great right. Mm. Um, I don't think everybody who bought a house in the middle of a, a, a neighborhood in, in a city that displaced people had a bad intent. Mm-hmm. Doesn't mean it didn't have poor impact. So Wow.
0: Yeah. OK, well, um, I'm looking forward to seeing that come out and uh, hopefully we can include it in our list of books and some of our classes here. Um, appreciate you sharing a little bit about that. I didn't mean to make you nervous. Right? Oh, yeah, yeah, now you got me like, oh, man. Nah. We'll be cutting this podcast They're short fine. today. This will be 10 minutes. <laughs> um, Leroy, uh, previously we talked to you about your work in the area of community development and ministry and, and really the extensive years of experience that you have in, in those spheres of starting off in, in Philadelphia uh, with the Restoration Ministries, working with houseless individuals and, and kids even. Um, the lessons you learned from from those ministries as well as FCS uh, ministries, I believe it was, mm-hmm. in Atlanta with Bob Lupton and, and others there and some of the work you've done. But I'm wondering if we could um, go in and discuss your advocacy work, particularly in the area of racial justice mm-hmm. on this podcast. As you know, um, and as I have previously shared on this podcast, my wife and I and, and our kids have been back in the U.S., Full time for about 10 years now. Previously, we were working in, in different parts of Latin America, primarily with street youth and children. In my early years of working with the youth, I spent quite a lot of time with children and youth actually on the street supporting them, very similar to what you shared mm-hmm, about mm-hmm. your work in, in Philadelphia, um, and encouraging the, the young people that we worked with. Many of them were very young, living on the streets, um, just to make better decisions and, and to, um, you know. Find good shelter Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. good place Mm -hmm. to live, under ironically foster care Mm -hmm. uh, Mm -hmm. programs. You know, but the racism and even the systemic injustices um, that were faced by particularly dark-skinned and Afro-Caribbean youth uh, was was very evident in the society. Um, In fact, I I recently read an ethnography by. Patricia Marquez, um, called Violence on the Streets, and she gets into racism um, in some of the places where I've worked. Uh, You know, I've known known you for the majority of my time being back in Oregon um, after those years of ministry in Latin America, and um, I'm grateful for your leadership in these spheres, and I just want to say that. You have really helped this kid, and I say this kid, this middle-aged uh, <laughs> white adult male. You can be a kid; that's okay. Okay. <laughs> well, some days I still think I am, but um, you've really helped me, this this guy from the suburbs, think critically about race and the role of the church in mm. the world today. So I am mm. grateful for you and and your leadership in these in these areas, and and def- definitely respect um, your thoughts and and your um, wisdom on these issues, but. I'm just going to start off with a simple question. What does black lives matter mean to you, Leroy?
1: Hmm. Wow. Um, so I, you know, black lives matter now, you know, we, you know, 2021. Right. And uh, we're, you know, a year or so into COVID and uh, we saw Mod Arbery, you know, get killed and shot down in the streets. Right. Uh, and, uh, and now af- after that and after after we watched George Floyd get murdered right. um, by a police officer black lives matter has it's kind of morphed in the, in a kind of mainstream almost right mm-hmm. um, companies posting black lives matter commercials on TV saying black lives matter right like all of that and 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 I've, I, I I applaud that I applaud their work Um but I, you know, I, my advocacy work started long before before that, um, and a number of people who are involved in the formation of Black Lives Matter that wasn't the first thing they did, mm-hmm. right? They have been involved in advocacy work in, uh, in in a number of ways before that those moments, right? Um, and you know, I remember my first, you know, I re- I remember doing a protest in Philadelphia against the transportation system somewhere in the early nineties. Mm-hmm. And uh we were upset about something in our neighborhood, uh and, and, and being a part of leading that, you know, and uh so so it's been it's been a part of, of who I am for a really long time. I would say as we moved up towards um where Trayvon Martin was killed, I remember where I was the the day they acquitted Zimmerman. Mm -hmm. Right. I I, like, I know exactly where I was sitting. I know which TV I was watching. Um, I was in Chicago, right. I I know where I was. Uh, and, um, there was something about that, um, that, 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 uh, that, that pushed me deeper into my advocacy, the the advocacy part of me, Mm -hmm. um, raised up. Mm -hmm. And, uh, we did something back in, I lived in Atlanta at the time. We did something at the King center, um, uh, for for the family and for folks to to speak in and then we and then we begin to see and a lot of this is because of social networking right we begin to see recorded over and over again all these black folks getting killed right yeah. um and um and 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 land it um in ferguson right uh, mike brown mm-hmm. and I I went to Ferguson, um, I guess, a week or so after uh, Mike Brown was killed, and I was with a group of organizers um, um, led by Mike McBride, and uh, who was an incredible um, activist and organizer, he and his brother and uh, his whole family, probably. Mm. Um, and I experienced that for a week um, and then went back a couple times after that. And there was something shifted. And that was around a time where black lives matter kind of mm-hmm. hit the ground. And, uh, and, and I tell you, it wasn't accept it it, it, it wasn't acceptable anywhere close to acceptable when, um, when these, these, these three young ladies, uh, started it and, and pushed it out into the world. Mm. Um, and, uh, uh, they, they came, they ran into a lot. Um, and anybody who said anything positive about it ran into a lot. But I, it was a, it was a shifting moment for a lot of people, um, and so for me, Black Lives Matter has come to represent an all-encompassing um, attitude about the injustices that are um, hurled at people of color. Mm-hmm. Black Lives Matter is an entry point um, to a lot. Like we've seen um, six Asian women get killed in Atlanta. Right. We've you know we've, you yeah. know, we've seen. Um, uh, we have on tape uh, an, a 65 year old Asian woman getting um, kicked in the face outside of a right. hotel, right? Like, um, and 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 all of that, in my opinion, is 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 built on this idea of 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 anti blackness, right? And and if you like, if you if you stand on that, any person of color is fair game to these mm-hmm. folks, right? And so. Um, Black Lives Matter has come to mean that to me that it is a, it is a a rallying cry, an entry call to folks to stand against supremacy. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. So, mm-hmm. Okay. Thank you. You know, I, I I just reflecting on on my own work a little bit here for a second. Um, and there's so much we need to talk about in terms of racial injustices in our society, but. I just find it really ironic that when I was working as a missionary and coming back to the U.S., uh, talking about the police brutality that we were witnessing with street youth, Mm -hmm. primarily uh, young, black, Mm -hmm. and and Latino Mm -hmm. uh, kids, Mm -hmm. um, you know, I'd come back and share these stories in the churches that were supporting us and with friends and folks, and, and they would just shake their heads and... And just mumble, how horrible, and ask questions like, why don't the police get better training? (laughs) All this stuff, right? Or how uncivil. Right, right. Yet here and now, we raise these issues, uh, these issues that you're raising, and those same folks have all kinds of names and terms for people like you and I and and many others. And, you know, they they use terms like socialist Mm -hmm. and and Mm -hmm. other labels. Mm And Mm -hmm. so... So where do you think the disconnect between upholding human dignity from the womb to our cities is happening? Where's that disconnect happening? Um, And, you know, Shane Claiborne and others, a a friend of yours I know, Mm. talk about the sanctity of life from the womb to the tomb, but it seems like that they are quite comfortable leaving some people out of that equation. So what's going on here? What's, What's missing here?
1: You, you you said you, you you mentioned a a word earlier in this and you said church <laughs> okay so you know ah uh, wow I, I am a i am a member of the church i am a pastor i am clergy you know all of those things but boy i tell you i don't know a bigger culprit um, historically to aid this kind of dehumanizing behavior than a church hmm. i don't I don't know bigger culprit starting you know if you talk to somebody like Mark Charles starting with the doctrine of discovery church right right, right? slave ships named Jesus and I mean, just goes on and on and on. Uh, and uh, the massacre of Native Americans and, you know, using the Bible, you know, to, to keep uh, uh, pe- people that you call property in line. I mean, mm-hmm. what bigger culprit? I don't, I don't know one, actually. And that is, a t- like, that's a terrible truth. Um, that the church has been used for that way over such a long period of time and for so many atrocities.
0: Man, um, what is your message for for the church in light of that? Uh, and mm-hmm. and I guess my next question, which is a raw question, is how do you, how does your faith? remain sustained, uh, Mm -hmm. in Christ in light of seeing what's going on and the perpetration of racism in, Mm
1: -hmm. in some of our churches? Mm -hmm. Um, I, you know, I think, I think there is, there are two, two parts to this story. One part is church as institution and, um, partner in colonization um and the other is church liberating movement right and uh and i think if you can't if you can't determine the two of those you're like you either leave this thing all right mm-hmm. which many young people have done right right or you just don't face the truth of the church's complicit you know behavior over all this time um, and so for me, I'm, I'm trying to lean into, um, the liberating, um, life giving, um, uh, incredible, um, space of the church. Um, that's, there. uh, and, uh, uh, I've, I've, I've been nurtured in it and I have been taught in it and, uh, I've discovered some on my own and, uh, and I meet, um, I meet, uh, uh, siblings and peers and everybody else within the midst of that liberating, that uh, liberating moment, mm. and so and and I've I've had the benefit of of seeing that and being a part of that all over the world, um, and so uh, this this uh, col- this colonizing piece of the church, which has come to a head. In the discovery of america mm-hmm. right and i use discovery purposely right because <laughs> that's the colonizing <laughs> yeah. way to look at it right um uh but there is a liberating part of the church that lives that has lived in south american liberation theologians right that has lived right and in, and in, uh, uh come alive with people like James Cohn look, looking back at the historical records, right um, and, uh, and I think I think they're on something Denise Williams right um, writes about um, uh, women and women of color and uh, where's the liberating space for them in the midst of these movements right? And so I think it's alive. I think I think there have been many martyrs. Um, Definitely and uh and 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 many martyrs after the ones that are recorded in the bible right mm-hmm. and so i think i find i find some some life there
0: all right that's 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 really helpful and i I'm, I'm sure uh, this word needs to get out to many of our young people that are leaving the churches mm-hmm. um, to understand that there is hope found in in oh absolutely the church um but going back to that question what what is your message, or what should the message be to white evangelical churches today that are that are struggling to grasp mm-hmm. the the racial injustices in our society and and the impact of those racial injustices on the body of christ mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. um matt you you've got you've you've got to get unattached to the um the church that is connected to the political um, um, aspirations of this country. If you if, if that is the main thing you are getting out of engaging a church, then you're not I, I, I'm comfortable in saying you're not engaging a church. Mm-hmm. You're engaging an American system that um, that has a placed, some of the values of scripture uh or misplaced some of the values of scripture okay. um and you you've got to untangle from that so that's you. Uh, it's not it's I, I don't believe that's where god is anymore mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. just don't and in in a sense right of course i honor god as creator but yeah. but
0: well, we have a lot of work to do in those areas, um, no doubt, in the years to come, mm-hmm. still disentangling the church. Man, I appreciate that message. Um, what role, and I, I know you have, have had a place um, to play when it comes to protest, mm-hmm. uh, what role does protest play in the life of a follower of Christ? <laughs> um and and does this and does the Bible even speak to mm-hmm, to issues mm-hmm, of protest? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
1: You know what? I uh I wish I had a copy of my wife's book. Okay. She oh, writes right. a devotional on this that is like so good. Um and uh, uh if you wanna get a copy of Bread for the Resistance. Bread for the Resistance, Yep. Uh, I was just please do, say it. yes. Yeah. Um and uh uh she outlines um beautifully how protest has always been there that that, uh, that Jesus' life was one massive protest against evil and against the systems um, that perpetuate it. And, and, and uh, that's, that's where it sits to me, that, that, that all if you look at it through these lenses, oh my goodness, Jesus was born in Bethlehem, not Rome, right? <laughs> like, Jesus was a carpenter, not a, you know, not a soldier, or you know, not, not a king's cupbearer, right? Yeah. Like, Je- like, all Jesus... Why is he going after the Sabbath so much, mm. right? Why is, he, why is he working on the Sabbath <laughs> and over and over and over again, right? He's disrupting. He's protesting um, what this church had begun and bringing a separation. Mm. Um, and, uh, you know, and, and if you talk to um, uh, Old Testament scholars and or Jewish scholars, they will tell you protest started in the book of Exodus, mm. right, with these uh, Hebrew midwives in uh, yep. whom one of yep. which was Moses's mother, right? Mm-hmm. And they will they they will tell you this historic record shows that protest has been there. We look at Mordecai, right, outside the king's gates in sackcloth and ashes, right, um, trying to get uh, his niece's attention, right. Like mm. it's all it's it's all in there, and so I think it has a, a profound role in society, um, and when it's when it's done in this way in which we have seen it, we actually, you know what? I don't know if I'm getting off you. you. That's okay. We actually, the only proof we have, really, of significant changes in the world, right? Like shifts, massive, Mm -hmm. are through nonviolent protests. Yeah. Gandhi and King. Mm -hmm. Name me some others. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right? Right? If America, if, if the United States of America lives on, and and is no longer, uh, you know, a, um, uh, a world power, and is five hundred years down the road now, the significant moment in this history is going to be Dr. King's civil rights movement. Yeah.
0: Yep, yep.
1: And it's nonviolent, so we actually have proof that from 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 uh, Gandhi to King and everyone in between who who lived and worked nonviolently um have shifted and changed the world significantly. Yeah, absolutely. We can even put Black Lives Matter in that space. These these like these young ladies, these three black women, have done nothing violent in the world. Hmm. They have they have given us a nonviolent approach.
0: Wow. Oh. All right. Thank you so much. I, I appreciate you taking that on. Uh and as you have seen, as I have certainly seen, especially here in Portland, um, we've seen a lot of young people getting involved politically, advocating for change in society, advocating for black lives. Um, how do they do this work without getting pessimistic, <laughs> cynical, or maybe even burned out? I mean, y- you've, you've been at this a long time as well. and So I, I just want to know, like, do you have any suggestions for them in terms of practices or spiritual disciplines that they can
1: engage with that you have found helpful? Well, one— if you try to do this by yourself that that is that is the ticket for burnout and that is the ticket for going off the rails. Mm. The people that I know who go off the rails or who burn out um, quickly are folks who um, can't like they don't have a community of people around them and that is critical for this work. Um, that's my, that's kind of my number one like who are your friends? Mm. And how often do you hang out with them, right? And and how do they speak into your life? Like I I just I just think that's critical, and it's really critical because a lot of folks in this in this thing are are prophetic voices, and a prophetic voice is just coming at you, right? And people, a lot of people don't speak back at them, and that 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 is that is to, in my opinion that is a recipe for disaster if you can't speak back in. Uh, And so I think, I think that's, that's something that, that becomes important. And, uh, you you know, I don't, I don't, uh, I don't subscribe to, um, to a lot of it because I'm an ENFP. And so, and I'm an extrovert, but you gotta find some time, some time to be quiet. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, You know, I'm giving some advice that is even for myself, right? Like you just gotta, you just gotta be quiet sometimes. Maybe pick up your wife's book, Bread for resistance <laughs> right, and read it. Right. right, right. <laughs> My wife who is a contemplative person, she is quiet a lot. <laughs> uh, I'm not quiet as much, but, but you gotta find, you gotta find ways to be quiet. You gotta, you, you like, you gotta listen, you gotta listen to, to the spirit that is, that is trying to speak. Um, that is always speaking. And if you're loud, loud all the time, you never hear it. So, Those would probably be two two pieces of advice. Terrific. Well, for those who have ears, let them hear, right? <laughs> Amen.
0: <laughs> Back in uh, 2013, when you were executive director of Word Made Flesh, right about the time I first met you, you mm-hmm. penned these words in an article on Sojo um, Sojo.net. Mm-hmm. Which is the online blog of, of Sojourners. And in that blog, he wrote, We are free today to choose people. We are free to believe that a person is worth giving our lives for, that we can sacrifice and give all we have for the good of another. The power of our gospel sits in this freedom. And I wanna personally thank you for living this out before our eyes. Um, You live what you preach, and I think that's perhaps the best gospel witness there is. So thank you, Leroy, for joining me on this podcast and for um, yeah, being willing to open up your heart and and, uh, wisdom to us. Thank you. Um, Good to be here. Thank you once again to Leroy for sharing uh, your time and your heart on this podcast. Thank you for um, all of you for joining us and a big shout out to Multnomah University for access to the recording studio and a platform to dialogue on the tensions in the areas of convergence when it comes to thinking missionally about development, justice, and peace building.